Do some companies obsess too much about being better than their competitors when in fact they should be focusing on being different? In this episode, we're going to be talking about competitive advantage. Welcome to episode 187 of the Marketing and Finance Podcast. This is the podcast for ideas and inspiration on marketing your business and growing your business and for discussing topics on all things finance. I'm Roger Edwards, a marketing guy and keynote speaker from Edinburgh. Talk to me if you want to cut the BS and the complexity from your marketing strategy. Hey folks and welcome to the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Thanks as always for downloading or streaming the show. I really do appreciate you taking the time to plugging me and my guests into your earphones. This week it's just me and the mic talking about competitive advantage. It's a subject that I've been thinking about a lot recently as part of the writing of my book. I was having a look at how companies are different to one another and you know what I found is that quite a lot of the time they're exactly the same. Their offers seem pretty similar. The price they charge is pretty similar. The service they offer is pretty similar. And this got me thinking about what do you really need to do to stand out? What do you really need to do to gain competitive advantage over your competitors? When putting together an offer, our analysis of our competitors is very important. Some people do describe this process as benchmarking, and there are many books and academic papers written on the subject of benchmarking. And benchmarking often takes up a great deal of time on those away days during corporate strategy sessions where everyone has fun sticking post-it notes prolifically on walls. But we must use this exercise to inform the development of our product or service, not to steer it. Many boardrooms become too obsessed with beating the competition rather than delighting the customer. Sometimes being better is not enough. Why? Because our competitors can run a similar benchmarking exercise, and it won't take them long to overtake us on features and benefits if they're also playing the same better game. Being different is the way to stand out. Better can end up being mediocre. I want to give you an example of a product line which I played a significant role in developing, and I need to sound an alarm here as I'm about to talk about insurance. Now, insurance is not the most interesting of subjects. It's also not an exciting product. Insurance is not the sort of thing that most people wake up in the morning, leap out of bed, jump up and down with excitement and declare, today I'm gonna buy insurance. They may feel that way about a new car or booking a holiday, but never about insurance. At best, insurance is a grudge purchase. Buying insurance might be sensible, but it's never seen as essential unless it's compulsory for your car. At least in the UK, it is a legal requirement. When I began my career working in the marketing department of a financial services company, our major product line was personal insurance. We were marketing life insurance. The concept of life insurance, of course, is quite simple. People take out a policy either for a specific period or for the whole of their lives, pay a premium each month, and if they die before the end of the term, the policy pays out a lump sum of money, say £100,000. It's a difficult product to sell because no one likes to think about about dying. But if you dig into the reasons for the product, it does make sense. People are likely to have a mortgage and other debts. Their family might rely on one person's income, and if they die, then the income stops. The money from a life insurance effectively plugs the gap in the family's finances when someone dies. 
Just as I was starting my marketing career in the late 1980s, a new type of personal insurance started to emerge. At the time, this remarkable product had an even more remarkable, if not scary, name. Dread Disease. Yep, Dread Disease. Can you imagine getting excited about buying a Dread Disease product? In an equivalent way that life insurance paid out if a person dies, Dread Disease paid out if the person developed one of a list of illnesses, such as heart attack, cancer or stroke. Early versions of the product in the 1980s didn't exactly fly off the shelves. <laughs> Perhaps it had something to do with the name Dread Disease. Even when the industry realised the name was rubbish and renamed the product Critical Illness Cover, it didn't ignite the passion of the paying public. The first products launched in the mid-1980s by Allied Dunbar included cover for five different critical illnesses. And even though this product model didn't catch the attention of the public, it did excite the accountants and the actuaries within financial services companies. They hailed critical illness cover as the next big thing. In the late 1980s, pretty much every financial services company launched a critical illness product. Following Allied Dunbar and Abbey Life, the next products launched into the market simply included more critical illnesses on the list than the original companies. This gave the salespeople something to shout about to financial advisors. They could say, our product is better than Allied Dunbar and Abbey Life because we cover more illnesses. My own company launched its product in 1991 and guess what? Our marketing message focused entirely on the fact that we covered more critical illnesses than anyone else in the market. We went out on the road and held seminars with advisors, even did some trade press advertising. Our sales team were very excited about the product because on launch day they could prove it was better than everybody else's. That competitive advantage lasted for two weeks. Two weeks later, another company launched their own version of Critical Illness Cover and lo and behold, the product covered more illnesses. In fact, their advertising headline made me laugh at the time. It's what our competitors have been dreading, they said. A great one-liner for people who got the joke, but meaningless for everybody else. Now, I can't prove it, and it might have been me, but somebody coined the phrase about that time that we were about to embark upon, in inverted commas, the illness race. For the next 25 years, the pattern repeated itself every year. Some companies might have gone out of business and some new companies might have started up. But amongst the core, every year, each company would relaunch their critical illness product and their differentiating feature would be a longer list of illnesses covered. For a fleeting period, they could claim to be better than their competitors. Now, as we approach the end of the second decade of the 2000s, almost 35 years from the first critical illness product, products now cover up to 100 different named illnesses with all sorts of other bells and whistles and features added on. The products have become so complicated that people have launched other companies offering comparison systems to help advisors compare all of these different plans. For 35 years, financial services companies have been fighting to be better than each other in the critical illness market. But they focused on features and became preoccupied with their competitors, almost to the exclusion of what the customer wanted. 35 years on, the man on the street is still not really interested in buying critical illness insurance. Some will buy it on the advice from a financial advisor, perhaps if they've just taken out a mortgage. But overall, critical illness cover doesn't appear on the bucket list of the average consumer. 
I was as guilty as everybody else when I was involved in this market. I remember sitting in meetings where we literally leafed through the medical dictionary looking for conditions we could add to the critical illness product. Here's one, Uncle Rusty's swamp fever. Shall we add that? One day I googled, what is the worst illness in the world? The top answer was multifaceted Rudrashka. I thought, that sounded horrible. Imagine a doctor looking at you with sad eyes and saying, I'm sorry, but you have multifaceted Rudrashka. I dropped it into one of those planning meetings and met with an enthusiastic response. Eventually, I had to own up and admit a multifaceted Rudrashka was, in fact, a Nepalese healing bead. In a memorable and fraught session, our proposal was to add five new conditions to our policy, and the finance director of the company, who was probably a lot wiser than I gave him credit for at the time, to be honest, wondered why we wanted to add five new conditions and have that advantage over our competitors when, in fact, we could get away with adding only one or two. I guess he knew whether we added one or two or five conditions, our advantage wouldn't last for long. It would only last until our competitors caught up. Critical illness cover might be a dull product, but the lesson is an important one. The illness race still runs today. It's a marathon to outrun all marathons, and the reality is no one will win. Better isn't good enough. Different is how you stand out. So how can we be different? From an academic point of view, there are three main ways you can stand out from your competitors. Three levers that you can pull. One, your product. Two, your price. And third, your service. Now, academic wisdom backed up by commercial reality suggests you can only pull two of those levers at the same time. You might choose to have a high quality product and sell it at a low price. However, the product margins on this approach would be so low, you wouldn't be able to offer a great service. You might choose to have a fantastic product with amazing service, but to achieve that, you'd have to charge a higher price than everybody else. You might go for a low price with amazing service, but this is difficult. Southwest Airlines in the United States, the airline upon which most European low-cost airlines base their model, is well known for low prices and amazing service. However, if you look closely, it's often the case the prices aren't quite as low as their marketing likes to suggest. Pulling all three levers at the same time is very difficult. From a profit point of view, this one is the hardest to achieve. But in the modern world, with technological advancements, it should be possible for everyone to provide a decent product at a decent price with a decent service. The problem is this yet again creates a baseline. It creates that environment where company executives aspire to beat their competitors on tiny differences in features. Again, it creates a desire to be better when being different is the way to stand out. We can have a better price, a lower price obviously, but is that different? We can aspire for better products, but the critical illness cover example shows where this might lead. An endless race run for years with the finishing line constantly moving ahead of the leaders of the pack. We can aspire for better service, but what is good service? Everyone has a different definition of good service. And a lot of companies today that claim to have great service are actually offering pretty mediocre service. I still think it's possible to stand out and be different. People don't like waiting in queues on phones. They don't like rude staff. They don't like clunky processes and inconvenience. But again, it's easy to fall into the better trap as opposed to being different and standing out. So benchmarking our competitors is important, but obsessing over their products and services can be a red herring.
Sometimes I think maybe it's better to ignore what your competitors are doing entirely and just concentrate on doing the best you can for your customers, finding out what your customers want, finding out what your customers' problems are, and solving those problems as best you can and offering a great experience and offering a great service. And think about doing it differently. And if you do that, that's how you're going to end up standing out. I'm not saying it's easy. But just ask yourself, instead of saying, how can we be better than our competitors? How can we be different? Thanks for listening to the Marketing and Finance Podcast. I hope you enjoyed that little canter through competitive advantage. If you've got any thoughts on this subject, and it might end up in the book, please do get in touch at rogeredwards.co.uk. I'd love to have a chat with you about this subject. If you need help with your marketing, maybe you're looking to put together a product and you want to look at ways that you can stand out from your competitors, or maybe you're just looking at a content and social media strategy. It's what I do. I can help you. Do please get in touch. Look me up at rogeredwards.co.uk. Next week, we'll be back to the interview style show, and I'll see you then. Thanks for listening to the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Do please look at the show notes at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash MAF for links to the apps and topics and books we discussed. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review on iTunes. Simply visit rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash iTunes and leave a review. I'll catch you on the next episode. In the meantime, keep marketing your business to keep growing your business.